right, so Ben, we started learning communities at New City this last week, and that is a new environment that we have. So could you tell me a little bit more about learning communities in like a general sense mm -hmm. and then in particular what is this learning community that we have going on right now yeah well in order to follow jesus in all of life there's a lot of particular areas where we really need to do a deep dive um, and so what we realized from doing elder visits even through 2020 is that um, three of those areas where we want to do a deep dive in discipleship are anxiety parenting, or you could call, call it family discipleship, and uh, sexual wholeness slash pornography. Those are just three areas that are, um, we want to we really equip our people to follow Jesus well in those areas. And so increasingly we realize um, we don't need a lower level of commitment and intentionality and rigor, if you will. We actually need a higher level of all those things. Mm -hmm. And so a learning community actually has a beginning and an ending. It's, it's a definite period of time. And, and you start at the beginning, and once you start, you're in, and nobody else is coming in either. And so that's an important piece. It's a definite period of time with a definite group of people focused on a particular discipleship area, if you will. So it's, it's very much like a class in yeah. some sense, but even more closed because, you know, you can get late registrations. People could show up for a class like three or four weeks in. That's right. Whereas these are only, in this case, is this one, this one's six weeks, right? So yep. three or four weeks in, it's like almost over at that exactly. point. Exactly. Yeah. And like a class, there's a syllabus, there's required work prior to that. Sometimes it's reading, sometimes it's exercises on your own, sometimes it's reflection. Um, and so you really are in, an engaged learner, not a passive learner. So if I were going to say one of the most important, maybe the two definitive uh, or distinctives, I should say, of a learning community, one is that we really do mean community. Mm. We actually want the people that are there for the six weeks back to back to back to get to know each other in a way they wouldn't if they were you know, coming this week, but not next week and, and kind of in and out. And the second thing is we really want it to be a learning environment. So we, we mean what we say when yeah. we call it a learning community. And we all know that learning doesn't happen when you're passive. So you have to be active and engaged and intentional. And so really these six weeks that we're working through following Jesus with anxiety, people are actively engaged in the learning process. They're not just showing up for a two-hour lecture. They're showing up for workshopping and discussion, and they're contributing from the work they did prior to coming. And, and so that's why it's got to be a definite group of people for a definite amount of time focused on a particular topic. Yeah. So it sounds like it, it, it's a class in one sense, but it's more like a lab maybe in another sense. Of, yeah. Like it's not just a book you could read instead of taking it, which is some classes are that, but it's way more hands-on, way more interactive, way more community-based, which goes into the title, obviously. That's exactly right. So you said following Jesus with anxiety. Tell me more about what's going on with this particular learning community. Yeah. So as I said earlier, anxiety was one of the topics that we distilled from just honestly hearing from our people, learning from them, hey, what really are some of the obstacles and challenges in following Jesus in our day and age, in our culture, in your particular world? And anxiety is, as we can understand, um, it was, as I've said you know, an epidemic before the pandemic of sorts, mm -hmm. and then 2020 just heightened it for everybody. And so I've said before that one in three um, adult adults in America will at some point have the symptoms, the collection of symptoms that could be diagnosed as an anxiety disorder. So a third of us will experience something like that. The other two thirds of us have anxiety. Uh, it just sometimes it presents differently for some of us than it does for others. And so anxiety really is an important, um, an important area of our life that we want to follow Jesus with. 
And so really this is focused on anxiety, um, but I'm using a, a therapy that I work with called acceptance and commitment therapy, or in a context like this, it could be called acceptance and commitment training. Okay. Um, but because it's in a church-based context, I actually like to call it active and contemplative training, uh, because those two words come from a deep, rich part of the, the Christian tradition of this, this um, tension or duality of the Christian life, which is partly active, loving our neighbors with, all, with ourselves, um, as ourselves, and then contemplative, loving God with all of ourselves, that, that, that both of those really matter, um, that there's an, in, an inward nature to our life, and then there's an outward nature to our life. And so this is active and contemplative training is really what I like to call it. Okay. So you said it's, it's based on a training that you practice, acceptance and commitment therapy, but mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of modifying it's active and contemplative. Um, so it, as I'm thinking about this, because I would be curious to take this class, and we, we've talked about this off the podcast, mm-hmm. it's like maybe at some point, but I'm kind of, I'm going to sort of slide in and try to get the material from the class in some ways, yeah. but probably still take it at a later time when it's, in my understanding, this is not a one-off. It's mm-hmm. like we're doing it this fall, but it'll probably be offered again. That's, That's kind right. of the idea behind some of these learning communities is they're not just one and done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just curious in the, in the, in the, you've had one week so far. That's right. Okay. So what, what does the first week look like? Yeah. Well, this first week we kind of did a, a laying some foundations. What is a learning community? What is act? Uh, but really we started with act, which was we started by clarifying values. So one of the most important things we can do in life is clarify what really matters to us and what are the qualities of being and doing that we want to describe who we are? In other words, um, as a husband, I might have particular values, qualities of being and doing, like I want to be understanding, I want to be patient, I want to be humble, I want to be forgiving, I want to be compassionate. Those are values that might describe me in other areas of my life, but I want to clarify them in particular to my life, my role as a husband. I could also say in my work, I've got values in work, like I might really value excellence. Um, I might actually really value creativity. Um, another value might be that I, I value learning in my work. Like I always want to be an ongoing learner and, and be press, pressing on to be better and better and better at my particular vocation. Um, you might have a value of playfulness as a, as a mother or a father. You might have a value of um, intentionality as a son or a daughter with your parents, uh, as, as maybe you are an adult and you want to keep a close relationship with your aging parents or so so these are these are what I mean by what I mean by values is they're really adjectives or adverbs because they describe they characterize your being and your doing in the world and it's really important to clarify them because we have them but in order to clarify them then we can actually make contact with them and reconnect with them when they really matter interesting okay so you you have people do they make a list is it a collaborative thing? Is it a sit on your own and just sort of write yeah. out your values? Do you discuss them afterwards? Yeah, so we do a couple different exercises. Um, one is I just have people draw two straight lines, uh, vertical lines, down a pa- piece of paper. So you make three columns. The far left column is name all of the roles or domains of your life. So I named a few, father, right. husband, yeah. I, I could say pastor, friend. Uh, I could say uh, work is a domain. My physical life is a domain. Um, so just name those along the left column. Maybe write six of them. And then in the middle column, I want you to name one to three values for each of those. And so I could say, like I said, one of mine for being a father is I want to be playful. I want to be a playful father. I could also add attentive. I want to be an Mm -hmm. attentive father. And then the third column is 
give us a concrete example of what that would look like. Because I can say playful, and that really is still abstract. Yeah. But what it might look like concretely is, as soon as I get home from work every single weekday, I know that the first 30 minutes when I walk in the door is going to be, I'm going to come in the door and I'm going to play with my son. Um, I had a, a friend who would, whenever he invited me over, he'd leave a Nerf gun on the front doorstep with a note that said like, like get battle ready or something like that. Mm. And as soon as I walked in the door, all of his boys, he had three boys, they were hiding somewhere in the house with Nerf guns ready to ambush me. And it was just a really playful thing that they did. And I loved that. And that's a concrete example of living out a value of playfulness as a father. And I just really appreciated that. Yeah. So it feels like it's a, it's a, at least a three-step process, Mm -hmm. right? It's what are your domains? And then you know, that you could come up with a great list of adjectives, but you have to, you're clarifying it to yourself is what it sounds like. Yes. Like, what does, what do I mean when I say playful or attentive? Like, yep. So that it's not just a thing that you could, it, 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 my guess would be you're trying to give a clear target of mm-hmm. what you're shooting for rather than just sort of a vague sense of, well, I kind of want to be like this. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I do this with couples in premarital counseling. I'll say, hey, imagine 10 years from now you're celebrating the last 10 years of your marriage and you've got all the people that matter to you most in the world and it's this big party that you've thrown at your favorite restaurant. You've got these people that really care about you that are championing your marriage and they all get together and there comes to that point in the in the evening when people start clinking their glasses and you kiss and then they really want you to stand up and toast. And so if I'm looking at the husband, I'll say, what do you want your wife to say about you, about the kind of man you've been over the last 10 years of marriage? So now there's, there's a few things going on there. He's got to put himself in his wife's shoes 10 years from now, mm-hmm. looking back on those 10 years of the kind of man he's been. And what he's going to put, the words he's going to put in her mouth are his values. I want him to be, I often hear this, I want him to prioritize Jesus over me. I want him to be humble, understanding, patient. I want him to be fun and joyful. And and then I'll just kind of double click on some of those and say, hey, what would it look like if I, got, I were to follow you around with a video camera for a day and I saw you living out the value of, of patience? What would that look like in practice? So I'm getting that concrete piece, but it's an imaginative exercise. And, and if you wanted to do it, you could say, um, let's just say, Uh, you name somebody who really is important to you, maybe a hero, maybe a mentor, maybe just somebody that really matters to you. It could be your spouse, could be a a close friend. And and towards the end of your life, they write a biography of you. What would you want the main themes of that biography to be? What, What kind of things would they just tease out and say, this really described Ben's or Nate's life over the last 50 years, right? Mm. So again, you're teasing out the values. And these are people that really matter to you, that are speaking these things to you. You're putting those words in their mouth. And so they're imaginative ways of kind of getting at some of what your values might be. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, those are very imaginative exercises. Reminds reminds me of uh, in Michael Hyatt's book, Living Forward, which is, it's it's a very similar kind of thing, like define your domains and mm-hmm. then goal setting, that sort of thing. But one of the first exercises he wants you to do is write your own eulogy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think if I remember right, he wants you to allot the better part of a day to doing it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, don't skip this step. Don't like just spend 30 minutes on it, like take an afternoon, take a morning and just actually flesh out like what, and so you all the way to the end of your life, like what yes. would you want to be said? And then kind of you're working backwards, you're reverse engineering. I love that. I think it's David Brooks that says you can either live for your resume or for your eulogy. And mm. nobody, nobody brings up their CV at your eulogy, right? Like they're bringing up uh, the kind of person that you were. 
Yeah. So you could be, you could have crushed it in your field and uh, in, in been the highest there was in your vocation and been a total tool that nobody wanted to be around and nobody's coming to your funeral. Like that's a real thing that could happen to you. Mm-hmm. And so living for your eulogy though, uh, is, is to living, to be the kind of person that actually makes an impact and leaves an impression on people's lives way beyond your lifetime even that's that's a legacy yeah uh, which we know from psychology generativity is one of the most important stages in a human a human's development which is that piece of, of leaving a legacy yeah and so really i want to say the reason why values matter is not just to be like hey these are things that i i want to describe me the reason why values matter is because what act is really focusing on is all the things that get in the way of you living in line of your with your values that's why we start there. Gotcha. So anxiety is not a bad thing. In fact, it's part of the uh, biopsychosocial wiring that God designed us with. If you don't have anxiety, you might be dead by now uh, because it's it's part of the fear response or the threat response system that, that produces fear and anxiety in your life. And so it's a really good thing in certain circumstances. But when it gets in the way of you living in light of your values is when it becomes problematic. Mm-hmm. And so that's a way in which we're trying to understand anxiety is that anxiety is actually a, a, a created good. Uh, I should say a created good that's a requirement this side of Eden. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think we would have had anxiety when we were in Eden. But actually, I don't know, because there was a serpent in the garden. It's an interesting question. You you could ask the same question of uh, pain in just Mm -hmm. a general sense. Like there's a sense in which we need to have a sense of pain because it it has a protective element to it. And it's hard to imagine fallen or not, whether pain would be a thing. Like you, you have mm-hmm. to, if you really, you know, put yourself in the garden, it's like if Adam tripped and fell down, like mm-hmm. I'm sure it wouldn't have just felt amazing for, <laughs> yeah, for right. whatever reason. Right. Um, right. So it, it seems like pain, stress, mm-hmm. fear, I mean, they're, they're, they're unpleasant maybe, and yeah. maybe undesirable, but to your point, they're, they're a necessary part of being human for That's sure right. this side of Eden. And then we could debate the other side as well. Like God created Adam and Eve with an amygdala. Which is that that part that yeah. scans the horizon for threats all the times and all the time in the middle brain? Like that part really matters. You have a brainstem that responds with the sympathetic nervous system, fight, flight, freeze, and and so um, the reason why I say that actually is uh, after we worked to kind of discover or define our values, we moved into addressing some of the main questions that people asked at the beginning. So when people signed up for this learning community, uh, we asked them, hey, what do you hope to learn from this? What do you hope to gain from this? Mm -hmm. And I just distilled those three questions um, into these. So the first one was, how do I move from being overwhelmed and out of control to being stable, calm, and at rest? It's a great question. Mm -hmm. If you've got anxiety, you know that's an important one. Yeah. The second question was, is anxiety a sin and how do I follow Jesus with it? Uh, which is great because that's a, the title of our <laughs> of our learning community. Right. And then the third one was, how do I handle anxiety while caring for others in relationship? Those are three really important questions. So we tackled the second one, which was, is anxiety a sin and how do I follow Jesus in it? And my short answer was, it's a lot more hard, a lot more complicated than most people think. Yeah, because I, I mean, it, just even as you say that now, I my mind. As soon, well, even hearing the title, Following Jesus with Anxiety, I immediately think of the passages in the Bible that are directly tied to it. Yeah. Um, Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. So, it's, you know, don't worry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then particularly don't be anxious as a command, um, which yes. makes it seem like, okay, well, if I'm supposed to not be anxious, then if I am anxious, how is that not living in sin? Mm-hmm. Especially if I feel like 
I'm aware of it all the time and it feels like sort of involuntary. Yep, that's right, which is a such an important question. And so um, we, you and I are going to dedicate a whole podcast to that question because I, I think we do short shrift to it here. Yeah. And so um, we'll, you guys can look out for that because it's coming. Uh, and we're also going to do a podcast dedicated to acceptance and commitment therapy and how I discern and kind of utilize that within a Christian framework. Yeah. And how does the scripture, how does the Bible still function as an authoritative guide as we interact with secular psychotherapies like acceptance and commitment therapy, which we'll do a podcast on as well. Yeah. And so both of those were really important topics that I addressed in week one of our learning community. Yeah. So there's a sense, just so the listeners are aware that we're, we're kind of, we're going to spend each week moving forward, doing a brief recap of the learning community. Uh, but we don't want to do so much so that people feel like, well, then why would I go to the learning community? I can just listen to the podcast. That's right. But we're also going to try to double click on some things to use your language mm-hmm. of like, okay, well, let's zoom in on this a little bit more because we didn't have time for it in the learning community. Or more accurately, given what you said earlier, the learning community is less about content delivery. It's mm-hmm. more about interactivity. Exactly. And we do a lot of experiential exercises in there and some of the things that we can't recreate here on the podcast. And so I think that's exactly right. The, the last thing, two things I would point out is I named my vision for the following with Jesus with Anxiety learning community is that, that people would be able to live a life of risk-taking love with or without anxiety. In other words, getting rid of your anxiety is not the goal. Uh, as I said earlier, it's a, it's a created, it's part of our created nature that we would experience anxiety in the face of uh, threats, potential, t- particularly future threats. Um, and and so we want to we want to be able to live a, a life of risk taking love with or without anxiety. And so why values really matter is there's values in that that love is a value. Um, you could probably summarize most values under the category of love under that that umbrella. But really, um, there's an author named Russ Harris who, who writes a lot about acceptance and commitment therapy. And he asked this question, or he has got this paragraph of questions that I'm going to just close with because this really distills what we mean when we say, why do we start by heightening and clarifying values? And he says this, in a world where you had no anxiety, how would you behave differently? How would you walk and talk differently? How would you play, work, worship, I would add, and perform differently? How would you treat others differently, your friends, relatives, partner, parents, children, and work colleagues? How would you treat yourself differently? How would you treat your body? How would you talk to yourself? How would your character change? What sorts of things would you start doing? What would you stop doing? What goals would you set and work toward? What difference would your newfound freedom make in your closest relationships, and how would you behave differently around those people? What difference would your newfound freedom help you make in the world? In other words, how does anxiety get in the way of what really matters? Well, first we got to start with what really matters. What's right. your vision for your life and what are the values that undergird that vision? Yeah, that's super helpful because it, it, knowing what matters seems to be easily lost. Mm-hmm. If you don't write it down, if you don't think through it, it, it doesn't just stick in the forefront of your mind yeah. day in and day out. So n- being able to think through what would be different, why would it be different, mm-hmm. what would I want to change? Um so then it keeps it from being even just an abstract exercise of like, well, I'd really just rather not have anxiety. That's right. Because it's like, well, but what does that mean for you specifically if you didn't have it? It's not just, uh, I just don't want to feel like this. Mm-hmm. But just it, speaking to someone that experiences it, that's usually what's on the forefront of your mind. It's like, I just don't want to be anxious. That's right. I don't, it's, in some ways it's helpful for me. I have, I would say I have high functioning anxiety. So mm-hmm. instead of it being, 
I experience it less as debilitating and overwhelming and more as probably for most of my adulthood, I just misinterpreted it as energy. Mm-hmm. Like I f- I'm motivated to do stuff, but yes. it's like, it's actually more that I just can't sit still. Mm-hmm. Like I just can't be silent and sit still and mm-hmm. not do anything. And so it's that anxiety that's constantly pushing me forward. And then I'm tricking myself into thinking, oh, this, you know, I'm just being productive. I'm optimizing my schedule. I'm, you know, stacking things up, but it's really being addicted to hurry mm-hmm. because of unmanaged anxiety. Yeah, I hear that. Um, Blaise Pascal has a quote. He says, all of man's misfortune comes from one thing, which is not knowing how to sit quietly in a room. Yeah. <laughs> and so to your point, like uh, one of the things we do in this in this learning community is um, slowing down enough to pay attention. Uh, if you just look in the New Testament, how many times we're commanded to pay attention to ourselves, it's pretty impressive. Uh, and mm-hmm. so attending to our inner world really matters such that we'd be able to say with the psalmist, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Like genuinely asking that question because there's an attentiveness. Jesus himself said before he went to the cross, now is my soul troubled. He knew he was in a troubled state. And for those of us, I'm very much so like you. Anxiety presents as adrenaline. And so it actually gears me up and I can actually do more. Mm -hmm. Whereas I know close friends and family to me, anxiety presents as debilitating and they shut down. And so I never thought I had anxiety either until I realized insomnia is kind of the canary in the coal mine for me. If my anxiety gets so heightened that my adrenaline is such that it is that I can't sleep at night, I know I'm not, I'm not in a good spot. Yeah. And so there's different ways of learning. Like how does anxiety present for me? What does it look like? And some of that requires slowing down, paying attention to our bodies, uh, where, how our heart rate is, our breathing, where, how our stomachs feel like our, our bodies, we're, we're embodied creatures and, and we carry anxiety in our bodies in particular ways. And so these are all things that we unpack in this learning community and and, and are really important to, to live a life of risk-taking love with or without anxiety. Mm. Well, I'm looking forward to finding out what you do. It's actually tomorrow night, but we'll be talking about it next week. So this, I think this series will be good for, I know it'll be good for me, just kind of um, thinking through some of the stuff you're going through, but I hope it's good for the listeners as well. And I'm looking forward to some of these double clicks that we're going to do moving forward. Me too, Nate. Thanks, man. Yeah.